Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, The text for this morning is from Revelation chapter 2, and specifically in our text this morning, we're talking about the church from Pergamum, which I know it's a weird-sounding city name, uh, but it's a It's an interesting situation that this church finds them in and an interesting way the Lord addresses them. So I'm hoping that um, we learn a little bit something about our world today. Um, Just as I was saying earlier, Wednesday evening, we dive way deeper into this stuff. Uh, We're really going to get this Wednesday into the story of uh, Balak and Balaam. Uh, You guys probably are vaguely familiar from Sunday school days of the story of, of Balaam riding a donkey and the donkey talking to him and that's kind of weird, right? Um, we're going to hear a little bit of that story this morning, just, just one verse of it. That's <laughs> all so we're going to get this morning. This Wednesday, we're going to dig deeper into it. So uh, with that, I invite you to stand as we hear from our Lord and Savior Jesus, instructing John to write to the, let, write to the angel of the church. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who would hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also, some of you who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, um, just again backtracking a little bit to understand what is going on in in Revelation. This is still prologue uh, era of the, the book of Revelation this is, this is John writing these letters that Jesus himself is giving the words to these different churches. But as we've been saying, each one of these churches, while they face a unique situation and Jesus addresses it, every one of us and every church on earth also face these same situations, these trials, these tribulations. So we should hear this in, in a granular way all the way down to us um, individually, as, as people of God, but also the church, um, this church, all churches around the world are all facing these sorts of things. So specifically today, uh, we hear at the beginning of the, the letter, the way the Lord introduces himself <clears throat> is kind of interesting. It's not the way we normally think of Jesus, with a sharp two-edged sword. He's kind of like ninja Jesus. Yeah, that is actually the first point of the sermon, is ninja Jesus. Jesus with a two-edged sword is unique. We think of him in terms of of bringing peace, of of bringing comfort and mercy. We don't think of him uh, anything like a warlord at all, anything like a a soldier or a warrior. We think of him in terms of peace, and, and that is primarily the way to see him in our lives. But then there is this Jesus, uh, who is a defender. 
He's not a warlord or a warrior going out to make war to cause harm, to hurt people, but he defends his people. So as he's speaking this, it's actually a callback um, to a text earlier in Revelation. So let's go back to Revelation 1. I think I have that text for the screen. Uh, Verse 16, this is the first thing that, that John sees is this vision of one who looks like the Son of Man. This is Jesus himself. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, those are to remind us of the church, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That sharp two-edged sword is uh, coming from the mouth is to remind us that his word has power. His word in scripture has power, but just what he speaks has power. In the same way that he spoke and the storm was calmed, or he would speak and people were healed, that word that comes from him is a sharp powerful sword that can cut to the quick of who we are. So there's, there's that verse. The next one I do want to put up right away. This is from Numbers twenty two thirty one. Wouldn't you know, um, we've got Balaam. And here we have the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord, which if you've been in our Bible studies before, you know is sort of Old Testament reference to pre-incarnate Jesus. I know that sounds like a weird thing. If you want to come and understand that better, we'll talk about that a little bit on Wednesday night as well. But this is Jesus before he took on flesh, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed before and fell on his face. In other words, there is the angel of the Lord, Old Testament. So as Jesus is saying this, he's saying it's just like that time <laughs> with, with Balak and Balaam. It's just like that time I was in the road with that sword blocking the way, and you couldn't see it. So let's find out a little bit more about this ninja Jesus and why This is a big deal for the people of Pergamum. Pergamum was a place that that had already suffered pretty serious persecution. It already already had faced that kind of Christian persecution where because of their faith, some had been killed. We get a, a note about this when it says, back in the days of Antipas, right, when he was killed because of his faith. That that little line in the text there tells us that, that this Antipas person was known by everybody. Doesn't need any more description. It was a very prominent member of the church. It must have been a very public thing. It, it'd sort of be like, let me make the comparison, if I were to say to you, um, I remember when, or do you remember when Kobe died? You don't need to know anything more about it. Right? I don't need to say anything else. You know, Kobe Bryant, basketball player, helicopter, all of that kind of comes to mind. In the same way, just says Antipas, and they're like, oh, yes. This very prominent, very faithful person was killed. And the Christians in Pergamum still held to the faith. It's a brazen act. If, if some nobody who's a Christian was killed by the officials there in Pergamum, it wouldn't make the news. It wouldn't be as serious. But if they're killing even Antipas, they will kill any of us for our faith. But the Lord says, you remain faithful. And that's a controversial thing in our world today is, is remaining faithful in the face of, of tragedy or horror or, or pain or suffering. We don't have the same sort of persecution that the church had back then, but, but there is that, you know, I'm, I'm praying for those people affected by Hurricane Ian. Oh, really? What good do your prayers do? There's some resistance to that. 
It's, it's seen in our culture, in our society, as weak, weak-minded. It's, it's seen as foolish. It's seen as silly and, and just dumb. Like, oh, your faith in God, look, clearly it didn't work. Look around you. Look at the destruction. You don't think there were any Christians there in Fort Myers? You don't think there were any Christians in the Ukraine or Christians around the world? And they believe and bad things still happen to them. Look at Antipas, right? He was a, a faithful, prominent Christian, and they killed him. What good is your faith? It's, it's, a, it's a type of persecution that doesn't come with the sword as it was back then, but it is still that kind of persecution that gnaws on our faith. And, and I, do, I don't want us to overcorrect. It's, it's not foolish and, and weak-minded and all of that. It's also not brave and courageous to be a Christian when other people are like, you silly Christian. It's not brave, courageous. Being faithful is faithful. That's what it is. <laughs> it is simply not being shook or moved from this, this trust and faith. You don't have to be brave in the face of a hurricane and stand out in front of like, I believe in Jesus, it's not going to hit me. Well, <laughs> so will a lot of debris and you will probably be killed. Yeah. No, it's, it's just, just be faithful. And it's, and it's ridiculed, but I will contend that the answer that comes from other places is actually far, far more weak and foolish. You ever heard somebody in, in the face of something like that? You know, or, or when, when the war in Ukraine starts or what's happening in Iran and all of those things, people will see I'm losing my faith in humanity. Good. <laughs> Shouldn't have faith in humanity. In fact, if, if you're not a believer, you shouldn't have faith at all. You shouldn't, shouldn't have faith in anything. You shouldn't have faith that people are good because it turns out people aren't good. God is good. People are sinners, just like you and me. People have a weakness in us. We, we, are, we fall to temptation. And, and if we believe and believe that the Spirit lives in us and are strong enough to fight and war against sin, and yet we still sin and we still do wrong, why would we expect those who don't believe to be good and to do good and to do right? We shouldn't. And, and civilization fails and, and, and the secular word fails and, and the government and, and the law and, and the justice system, all of these things will fail us. We shouldn't have faith in those things. It's foolish to have faith in those things. It's weak <laughs> because they're all broken because they're designed created and run by sinful, broken, flawed people. No, instead we should have faith in the one who created. And the one who created the world that was perfect, that didn't have this problem of sin, didn't have flawed people in it. The one who created the, the world to run perfectly, not the one's people who messed it up. So this, this is setting the stage for the church to hear, yes, you have been faithful, but you got a problem. You got some people with some teachings and some mindsets around there, and it, the word references these weird people. Let's just call them, uh, let's just say they are the killer bees. Anybody? Saturday Night Live, 70s, Belushi, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> killer bees. 
Balak and Balaam. Um, if you don't know the story, the brief synopsis of the story is um, Balak is the king of Moab, and the Israelites are kind of marching through and, and destroying kingdoms. But unbeknownst to Balak, the Lord said to Moses, uh, why don't you just kind of go around these people? Um, you got all the food you need because he's delivering the manna. You don't need their stuff. That's not where we're going. Leave them alone. Balak sees this horde of people, and he thinks, they're going to need food. And they're going to take our food. They're going to come, and they're going to, they're going to war against us. And even if we were to defeat them, our resources will be depleted. This isn't good. So he makes a few alliances, um, and, and he's doing all of these things. And he finds this guy, Balaam. And he says to Balaam, go and curse them for me. And the Lord tells Balaam, no, and we'll get into the full amount of that story later, but the, the, the point to, to understand is Balaam was tempted by what Balak offered him. I'm the king of Moab. I can give you anything. I'll give you riches and fame, a, a place in my palace. You, you can have whatever you want if you curse them by the power of the Lord and, and they all die in the wilderness or whatever, whatever works, keep them from coming to our land, even though they weren't going to. That's the temptation that Jesus is, is talking about to the people of Pergamum, that they're facing is this, this choice between serving the world or serving the Lord. It's a tough choice for them because to, to serve the Lord means that the world is going to war against them even unto death. It's, it, it is a temptation to serve the world at the point of a sword. For us, it's a temptation oftentimes just based on our ego, right? It's, it's based off of our pride that, that we want the, the riches of the world and, and maybe we can just sort of compromise a little bit and, and do things that are less Christian in, in our work life or less Christian in, in other ways. And, and we know maybe like coveting after these really awesome things and, and desiring stuff is, is not what God wants for us. But if I do it a little bit and serve over here a little bit, will it be okay also over here? Jesus addresses this clearly when he talks about money in Matthew 6. Let's get this up on the screen. Matthew 6, whoops, yeah, I already went through that. <laughs> Forgot I had it on the screen. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. As I said in the Confession and Absolution, you'll serve a master. All created creatures will serve a master. That's how it works. The, the deer of the field, which the season did just open, so yes, <laughs> it's on my mind, right? The deer of the field. Well, who do they serve? They serve their stomachs. They serve an instinct to continue the species, to procreate. They're not free to do whatever they want. They're certainly not free to walk past my tree stand, <laughs> right? It is, it, it is to say that all, all creatures serve something. And people are no different. We, we will serve our stomachs. We will serve uh, money to, to gain wealth. That is for ourselves. 
When we are greedy, when we are arrogant, when we're full of pride, all of those things is, is just us making us the master of our own domain or universe or self. Like we are elevating ourselves to a level where God should be. And in all of those pursuits, all you'll find is there's never enough money. There's never enough cars or boats or there's never enough this or that or fame or recognition. You always need more. You always need more. That master is brutal. Will always, always demand more of you. Nobody has ever made all of the money in the world. Nobody has ever been the most famous person for their whole lives in all of the world in every place. There is no ceiling to what you can chase, and it will exhaust you, it will disappoint you, it will hurt your relationships that you should be spending that time and energy in, all of those things. And yet we're so tempted to say, maybe we can have two, but you can't. Because God is God, he is Lord, he is king, not just of of the soon-to-come time when we go and see him at our death or the eventual time when he raises us from the dead, but his kingdom is now, and and his work is happening now. He is Lord of, of this church. He is Lord of all of his children gathered in this church and every church around the world. He is Lord of life, all who live. He is the king even when people don't see it. He is still their king, their creator. And if they trust and believe in him, their savior. And that's, that's the work of the church is to tell people, listen, you're serving a master. You're serving someone. You, you are uh, in some way beholden to yourself, sometimes in our culture, to our kids, to our spouse, to, to something you are beholden to. But if you would believe and become beholden to this Jesus. I said it earlier, his, his load is easy, right? His task is simple, just believe. In fact, he's such a great master that we serve that he does for us what none other would do. He steps down, humbles himself, comes to our level, takes on flesh lives with us, shows us his kingdom in all of his words, his teaching, his miracles. He shows to us how amazing the resurrection will be every time he heals somebody or, or does some other work. He's showing us this is what the kingdom will look like at the resurrection. And then to purchase for us an entrance ticket, a little white stone, <laughs> to give to us that white stone that's in Revelation 2 for this church, he pays with his blood. He does it on the cross. He, he makes payment to our debt by his death. The resurrection shows to us a means, the means by which we then will live for eternity. Literal body, literally walking around on a very literal earth. Like that's, that's what the resurrection gives to us. This hope that it is coming, but on that cross... He made this payment and hands it to us, as our text says, with a secret name on it. We'll get there in in just a minute. 
But this world tempts us. And even, even out, not just the secular world with its money and its power and its positions and all of those things, even inside the church, that's the Nicolaitans. We covered that earlier. One of the earlier churches had Nicolaitans in it too. The Nicolaitans are those who profess Jesus. They, they say believe in Jesus, but also because he forgives all of your sins, sin all you want. You do whatever you want. You know, you're forgiven, right? Have at it. The theological dorks call it antinomianism. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about spelling it or looking it up. Just know Nicolaitans have this, this false, cheap grace mindset of do whatever you want. But what are you really doing? You are, you are serving the carnal desires of yourself. You're doing the same thing the world is inviting you to do, but you're just trying to add Jesus to it. Right? It's the New Testament version of Balak and Balaam. That's all it is. You can't do it. And the world isn't ever going to understand it. The world isn't ever going to, to wrap their heads around the idea that we serve this, this God, right? And, and we have this idea in our minds that we belong to him and that there is a purpose outside of, of all of the things that we can see around us. And it's frankly right in the text, Jesus not only acknowledging that, but then also telling us, yes, they can't see what can't they see? Well, Balaam couldn't see Jesus, the angel of the Lord, Jesus pre-incarnate before his body, Old Testament, standing with a sword, blocking his way. And he says in our text, in chapter 2, right there towards the end, I don't think I have this one on the screen, but I'll read it anyways. It says right there towards the end, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, Balak couldn't see how this herd of people was going to have food and survive and assume that they were a threat. The world can't see what sustains and nourishes us because it's hidden from their eyes. Because you have to look and see for it with faith. Hidden right here on our table this morning is the body and blood of Jesus and the world goes, that's bread and wine. I go, right, but if you see it with faith, you'll see more. Well, what, what can make bread and wine into the body and blood? The confirmation kids know, right? It's that powerful word, that word that created the heavens and the earth, the word that calmed the storm, the words that, that caused the, the dead to be raised with Lazarus, the word that healed people, that same word that, that is spoken over these, not my words, but the words of the Lord himself, this is my body, this is my blood. The world can't see it because they can't see faith. They can't see in baptism water with the Holy Spirit doing something because it's just water. Look at it. It's just water. It's just bread. It's just wine. Look at your life. Kind of lame, actually. <laughs> You're in church on Sunday morning. What are you doing here? And it's, it's, it's something they don't see that there is value in this, to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to kneel at the throne of a creator, to know a God who loves us so powerfully, does what, what no other religion claims their God does, become flesh, give his life for us. They can't see it. And they never will. Stop expecting it. But rather, invite them to see what they can't see. 
It's, it's right there in the text that when people say your life is, is, would be so much better if you didn't spend the time, the energy, the money in church, you'd have so much more fun if you gave up this faith. You'd have so much more fun out, out in the world, in college, and anywhere else. If you just, just like take a break from this Jesus thing for a hot second, let's go outside and let's have some fun. Let's go downtown and, and have a good time. Just, just give it a minute, right? And you'll see how awesome the world is. And those in Pergamum are holding on to the faith going, I see that, what you see, but you don't see this. A kingdom where we serve one another, where we don't have faith in humanity. We have faith in a savior. I see this kingdom of God, which, which of course isn't perfect because it's populated with and run by people who are still sinful and broken, but here we have forgiveness. Or out there, you have repayment. <laughs> out there, you, you have uh, justice that is served in, in uh, prison sentences or fines or whatever. And here, we have mercy and grace. We pardon and we don't hold the sins against you. And Jesus says, it's this beautiful piece, and it's hidden a little bit. You know, the whole theme of this message is kind of hidden. You can't quite see. I'm going to give you a white stone with a name on it. Nobody can see it. And of course, I already made the comparison that, yeah, what's hidden here is the body and blood. What's hidden here, so this is the manna, just like it was hidden to Balak. Here we have the white stone. They don't see what's hidden here. What is that name? Let me read it to you again. To the one who conquers, that is, the one who holds the faith in the face of this persecution, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What name do you think is written on that stone? In your head, you're probably thinking, my name. <laughs> nope. Let's go to Revelation 14.1. And I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. We're going to see elsewhere in Revelation where those who belong to Satan have 666 right here. Those who belong to God have his name right here. It's when I bless your kids, I tell them, sometimes I have to be careful because they're very literal, I tell them, God put his name right here. And right here, and I have kids go, look at this, I can't see it. <laughs> like, where is it? But they can't see it. The white stone with the name that they're holding. What is that white stone? Um, Bible study will dive deeper into this, but it's oftentimes associated in ancient uh, Greece that, that if you were proclaimed to be innocent, the judge or the jury, whomever it was, would take a white stone boop, and put it in an urn. There's a few other theories as well, but it made sense to those people. The important part is the name that's written on it. It's God's name written on you. Why does he do this in baptism? Why does he write his name on you in baptism? I tell the confirmation kids, it's, it's just like when you go out to dinner with your family, right? You come home with leftovers, what do you do? You put your name on it, right? Otherwise, it's fair game. You better put your name on it. And if somebody else takes your food... Yeah, it's not going to go well for them, especially if it's dad's food. Trust me, it doesn't go well for them. My name is on there. That's mine. That's why God puts his name on you. 
You don't need your name put on you. It's our, you know your name. Everybody knows your name. But what people can't see is in baptism, God has washed you clean. He has he's made you sinless. He has given you the spirit of God to live in you, and he's put your name, or he's put his name on your forehead and your name in the book of life. He's, he's done this thing where he's marked you, he's tagged you, this one belongs to me, and yet the world can't see it. And they may come after you, and they may they ridicule you or mock you, but they also don't see a Jesus with a sword in his hand, who on the last day is going to make judgment and execute the judgment of the Father. And it's not that we're looking forward to that, that they have judgment. It's not like the Lord's going to get them, vengeance belongs to the Lord. That's not it. What we're saying is, watch out. Ironically, in the story of Balak and, and Balaam, we're the donkey. <laughs> That's who we are. We're donkey, right? That's what we do is we say, you can't see. You can't see destruction is almost here. You're getting frustrated with me. You're getting angry, just like Balaam did with that donkey. He's so mad at him. He says, I want to beat you to death, you stupid donkey, which I've never understood why he's not like, why are you talking? This is strange. <laughs> like, what a weird thing that's going on. But he, but he says, I'm keeping you from being killed by the thing you don't see. That's the Christian's calling. That's the church's calling. We're not in it for the Lord's vengeance. We're not in it for God to take it out on our enemies. So we don't have to. We're not sitting there like, man, you're going to get yours someday. You called me weak and foolish because I believed. You said all of these terrible things about me because I have faith. Ha, 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 ha. No. It is tragic. It's horrific. It's terrible. And in the face of those things, what do we do? We believe. We have faith. We hold on to it. It's not brave. It's not courageous. It's not weak. It's not foolish. It's just faithful. Be faithful above all else. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to receive the blessing? Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, rejoice at the good gifts you have given um, that you've hidden away. Where others don't see, with eyes of faith, we see so much. We see good and joy and promise and hope in the midst of broken things when and where we see you in the midst of them. Show to us even about ourselves, where we are broken, where we are weak and frail. You are redeeming those things to use in your kingdom. And show to us opportunities to warn others of what they do not see. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.